Good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco, and I'm here with John Moshitis in uh, Buffalo, New York. Welcome to the 10X Advisor podcast, and give you a little bit of background on, on John. John has been in business for about 36 years, and today we're going to talk about some of the kinds of things that we as advisors need to be aware of and make changes to, to stay relevant and continue to create value for our clients. Welcome, John. Good morning, Will. How are you? Doing great. You know, what I thought would be interesting to talk about was this this idea of some of the changes that are happening and, and could happen. And you had shared with me in Toronto a few weeks ago about something that Ron Carson shared at a recent workshop regarding uh, some potential changes in our world. Could you share that with us? Sure. Changes are coming every day. We all know about the Department of Labor and how they're starting to change the way we do retirement planning business. But in addition, there's a lot going on in the investment advisory world as well, as you know. And one of them is things like the robo-advisors that have been out there for a couple of years now and are capturing market share, perhaps not in the markets that you and I um, aspired to, to work in, but they're certainly gaining some momentum. But what was very interesting and a little bit unsettling to me was comment Ron Carson from Peak Advisor recently mentioned, he said in the next 18 months, we're going to see Amazon enter the investment management business, and we're going to uh, enter the business with a very unique motivation. It's not to make money. So we may come to the table and be willing to manage accounts for as little as seven basis points, we've been told, and purely because they want the information. As you know, advisors know when you open an account for someone, you need to get a lot of detailed information about income, net worth, assets, liabilities, those kinds of things. And that's the information thereafter, which will obviously help them become more effective in other parts of the business. So not sure what it means yet, but certainly it's going to be an additional, um, another change is coming that we're going to have to be able to deal with, be, be aware of, and uh, continue to Well, yeah, that brings up an interesting point. I know that, that you and your firm have created some unique processes, and you've been doing that for a number of years, as I understand it. So as, so as you think about how you're differentiating yourself and your team from, from things like that, that, you know, taking it away from perhaps years ago where an advisor might say, well, our value is in uh, picking funds and rebalancing, et cetera, can you talk about what your uh, the wealth management process that you've created and the steps involved there? Sure. Um, I think the big picture issue is those of us that have been in the business for a while, often the, the term advisor seems to be thrown off around a little bit too loosely. And I, th I think those that have really made a commitment to education that can really bring value to the table and help guide clients towards the solutions to whatever challenges they have with regard to their insurance planning, their estate planning, their investment planning. That will be the separator in the future. It will be knowledge. And, and, I, and I believe that the psychology behind that is that as attorneys and CPAs have done a very good job with over the years, is we also have to position ourselves as one of those trusted inner circle advisors that brings great value to the table that our prospect or client cannot get elsewhere because it's not about the products that we sell. 
It's about helping people get to where they want to go on their schedule. So I believe it's all going to be about planning. It's going to be trying to bring together all the fractured parts of their planning. They may have employee benefits at work. They may have an insurance or investment product they purchased from a pal at the country club, but we're the folks that are the quarterback of the process, I believe, and we bring it together. We help them avoid shooting from the hip, that they can put a streamlined plan together. And through the strategic coach, we've learned a little bit about unique process how important it is to be able to help a client visualize what they're going to be going through and what the end game is, what the result of the effort will be. So we've worked very hard on developing a process, naming it, having various steps to the process, and developing professionally done graphic overviews. So as I speak with the client about the concepts, I can actually show them step by step. I believe there's a lot of psychology to motivating people to take action and they have to kind of get a sense and a feel for where they are today and what they will gain if they engage you as part of their planning team. So that is why we work so very hard to develop the various processes we have. We're geared towards different solutions that we try and help people with. It's, it's interesting that you say that because the psychology of it. So. So what you just said is that it helps people to get a sense of, of the steps involved and where it's going so so that they see how it's going to create value for them and it's not mysterious, right? And and it also sounds like you've, you've figured out a way to simplify that and make it uh, graphically appealing. So so how do you, when you, what is it, is it a, do you have a one pager or how do, you, how do you get people to see that visually from beginning to end before they get started with it? Yeah. Um I think what you, you have to do is, in addition to showing our six-step process, which I don't know if you want me to show it on the screen now or you're going to flash it at some point, but you have to do so. But I think prior to even getting through the various steps, I think what we try to do to position it is normally we're going to ask someone to, to write a check to do a fee-based financial plan. And there's a huge argument out there. If you follow what has happened in the U.K., and in Australia, as the Department of Labor regulations become more developed, they may not approve of commission-based commission uh, engagement in the future. It may turn into a fee-based business. So getting someone to write a check to engage you in a process is no easy task. They're not going to easily write a check unless they feel they're going to get something out of it. So what we talk about is the dangers of falling in the shoot from the hip trap, those that have been winging it over years. And we try to emphasize that we've worked with successful people that really don't have a good game plan in place, and they've lost opportunities to, to build wealth because they're paying too much in tax, they're making bad or emotional investment decisions, um, they're not appropriately allocated with their investments and so forth. Um, we often find their families not adequately protected. They don't have the right legal documents. They don't have the right insurance. They don't have the insurance owned in the right place. And they really not achieved their overall goals because they haven't established that clear vision. It's not written down. They haven't identified the obstacles they need to overcome. So we try to help them focus on where they are today. And then we invite them to go through our process 
and we assure them that if they'll give us the adequate time, that will help them achieve that ultimate life game plan they're looking for. And it'll be the alter ego of falling into that shoot from the trap, meaning that they'll be positioned to maximize their wealth by avoiding paying the necessary taxes and trying to be more tax efficient and reacting intellectually versus emotionally to market moves. That their family will be well protected with the proper legal documents and insurance plans in the right place. And they will be achieving their goals in having things written down in a game plan in place. So we try to position it where you are, where we can take you, and then the first step to the wealth management process is inviting them into the free vision workshop where we really sit down. What we found over the years is people really don't want a financial plan. What they want is a life plan. They're smart enough to recognize it has to be supported financially. So the vision workshop, that first session, is just having really probing deeply and trying to find out what's important to this person or this couple or this family and the generational things that will impact where they want to go. And then we try to sketch out in one or two sentences the vision that they're creating for themselves in their plan, and then we invite them into the program. And that's where you have to be willing to write a check to go through the process. And I think that's how you position it in order to stimulate and motivate people who will gladly write that check because they'll say, yes, that's the aha moment. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I need. Can you quarterback this process and get us there? Well, you, know, you bring up a good point about the visual. It may be hard to see on the screen here, but what we'll do is we'll make it available via a link so people can see it on your website. It's a great one-pager, so that those listening on iTunes will make it available there via a link in the description, and, and on Facebook we'll have a, a link as well, John, to your website. And So what I like about that, as I understood it, is that it's almost like instead of saying, hey, why don't you write me a check, it's going to be a great experience, you're, you're letting them test drive it, aren't you? You're creating this vision. You're, you're helping them see that it's about creating a life plan, and then they're seeing how it's going to be really helpful, and then you say, here's where you're going to write a check because we're going to do all these, these great things. Yeah, I, I think good advisors for generations have been anything but salesmen. They've been advisors that have kind of developed the ability to lead people to logical conclusions. So I think this is just another example of trying to motivate people to take action, things that we all know they need to do, but in order to get them to do it, that's the challenge, right? And um, <laughs> something that makes sense, that you're not, what would, what would Ben Feldman say in the past? If you reach down into a man's pocket and try to grab his cash, you'll break your arm. But if you work by implied consent and get people to recognize that there's something at the end of the rainbow that they want, they'll write you a check all day. So that's kind of what motivates me. Well, that, that makes sense. And, and so you, you start with the, the vision workshop, and then the next part is the, uh, then you're into the life strategy session. Is that, is that the first step once they've engaged you as a fee-based planner? Yeah, and that's kind of a fancy fancy wording for kind of like that, that deep dive fact-finding session where you, you start to get, it's easy to get the assets and the liabilities of those things. It's the feeling questions that I think really separates the men from the boys in our business and really get people to, to think deeply and dig deeply and give you what, as you know, 
our clients will share with us things they often don't share with their own spouse, well, very intimate, important foods. So that's what the life strategy session is all about. And then we recently added step number three, we call it the design development discussion. What it really is is something called data verification. So after we've done the life strategy session and we go back and we start to look at it and analyze things and maybe do some preliminary modeling, then before we put the full-blown plan together, we come back to the climate a third time now and we say, okay, based on what you told us in the last meeting, we're thinking in terms of modeling either the cash flow or the assumptions for your business or whatever this particular way, what do you think? So we try to give them a, a glimpse of what their plan could look like and often they'll say, well, that's not exactly how I want to see it and tweak that or change this assumption or use this growth rate. So now we get to step number four, which we call our financial blueprint. That's the plan. We should Hopefully, if we were listening attentively, we've nailed it at that point. So then we bring back a plan that should be custom and it should be specific to the goals and objectives they've established and has been kind of um, fine-tuned at that point to, we hope, really, really good thoughts and value to the table. Yeah, so so it's it's customized to them, and it, and and you're you're tying it back. It sounds like to that vision they created at the at the very beginning, as opposed to to things like you know here's this fund or this this insurance policy or whatever else. You're sounds like you're really tying it back to when you get to that later phase of implementing things that you're you're connecting it back to their vision and their life plan and the the financial tools are just part of that plan, right? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of reverse psychology going because at this point you've spent three, four meetings, maybe more with the client to gather appropriate data, and you haven't asked them at all at this point about using you as an investment or an insurance advisor at all, and it's all about the plan. And then once you've delivered the, the blueprint, and I've told people up front, look, if you're going to write me a check you your planning, you have no obligation to implement any of these ideas with you. Now, I'm hoping if I do my job properly, and I hope help you solve some of these challenges that you have, that if there's a need for something such as an insurance plan or something along those lines, um, that you at least give us an opportunity during that business as well. So, but I, I tell them up front, no implementation. So it's very interesting when you get to that point, people are assuming that you're the person that's going to help them get those types of things in place as well. So it, it really takes away the pressure of a sales process, I believe. Well, that, that makes sense. And, you know, it reminds me of something Dan Sullivan said recently, and that is that, you know, there's, there's no shortage of answers out there. You know, back to your Amazon example, we can go online and find the answer to all kinds of things, but we don't know what questions to ask. And as you're describing your, your process, you and your team are doing a great job of asking them questions that help them think through things. And then by the end of it, it sounds like it's become really their plan and the things that they want to do. And it's just, it, it's, it's logical that they would proceed and implement things with you at that point, isn't it? Yeah, and if I could offer, if the listening audience has strategic coach experience and understands the lingo, if I could just offer a bit of at least a thought that I have, I'm finding with my 
top clients and my new prospects that I'm speaking with, I'm spending less and less time on financial matters and more and more time on sharing ideas with them that we all learn at, at Coach because they don't have that kind of stimulus in their life. They don't have that forward thinking. So if I can bring to the table where technology perhaps is going and how it's going to impact their business, if I can bring concepts that Dan shares with us each quarter on how to overcome procrastination, how to develop a self-managing company, how to use a scorecard with your clients, all these things, the mindsets that you have to have in order to continue to grow, thrive, and compete in the future, you bring value to the table with your clients that they can't get elsewhere. We take for granted that we think everybody has this kind of stimulus. We're getting some of the greatest <laughs> ideas in the country today, and how important is it to share that with our clients? And again, it puts you in a different place in the mind, more so much more than just an investment or influence advisor, in my opinion. Well, that's a great point. And how how long have you been connected with with Dan and Strategic Coach, by the way? It's my nineteenth year. Okay, and you know, you just alluded to some interesting things. So, could you think of an example, perhaps, of you know, over the last nearly twenty years, of some conversations you've had with clients, whether it's about new technologies or different ways of thinking, and 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 how did that change the relationship that you've had with them? Oh, sure. I think any time that you can help a business person become a better business person. So we're not talking about investments or insurance. You're sharing ideas with them that may help them develop a better leadership team or teaching them how to use an impact filter, something as simple as that, so that they can now challenge their leadership team to think through a problem before they bring it to the owner of the company or they have some strategies in place. And, and just think about, I find with my own small team here, when I come back every quarter and I've done my breakthrough booklet and I have my five initiatives we want to work through for the quarter, I delegate a responsibility to each person on the team and they have to do an impact so they've learned how to use that tool. And again, it creates such great discussion and people feel so much more a part of what we're trying to build here. So think about that in a manufacturing environment. Often, you know, our, our clients haven't been exposed to that kind of thinking. They've never done an experienced transformer. They entered into a market that didn't go real well at first. Let me show you how you can think through how you can improve on that, go down that road again in a different way. And I, I just believe that and I've had two clients now that are joining the program as a result of these discussions that we've had. Well, that's that's got to be really cool because then once that happens, then when you're having your ongoing discussions, now they can speak the lingo to an even greater degree and, and share ideas, and you're you're all growing together as uh, as business people. Yeah, and I'm 19 years ahead of them, so I'm still a little bit of the expert in their mind. So right. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned scorecards so, um, and, and mindset. So I'm, I'm curious, um, tell us a little bit about the kinds of clients you're working with and, and what kinds of things you're doing today as a result of the Dan's latest thinking around scorecards. Yeah, that was an, a real eye-opener for me. When we first did the exercise, the mindset scorecard, as you know, Dan had us identify eight mindsets of folks that you enjoy being involved with. So, 
we defined that. I worked with my team on it. And um, I was notorious, notoriously guilty of spending too much time with the wrong people. I, I guess my mind was trying to convince me that I could convert the do-it-yourselfer to want to work with someone like me. And what the scorecard did for me is it allowed me to show people in advance of them making a decision if they wanted to get involved with us or us with them um, as to these are the folks that we seem to work best with that think in these terms, that are courageous, that believe in a bigger future, that are open to new ideas, that appreciate process, etc. So we show them and then what we're finding is a, it's, a, it's a reverse psychology thing where, in a sense, I'm, at, I'm trying to see if they meet our criteria to come in and be considered to be a client of the firm versus me asking them to come in. I remember just two cases last year. I spent a ton of time with people that we really should have never been involved with. We were referral from the and thought they needed some help, and they were just looking for free advice make sure they were doing it the right way. So as Dad would say, you can't change the mindset of people. If someone is a dyed-in-the-wool liberal Democrat because their father was and their grandfather was, I'm never going to be able to motivate them to see things from a different perspective. So I think he said when you try to do that, it's like wrestling with the pig. Um, you're going to get dirty, and they're going to like it. So, <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. It's almost like you're saying now that as as you're deciding whether they're a good fit for your firm. I mean, has has that helped you assess you know who's already there and and whether you want to continue to work with them in addition to whether you bring somebody on in the first place? Yeah, certainly. It's it's um, initially it's the latter of the two. We're we're a little more using a little more scrutiny on who we get involved with. Um, I, I'm committed to the clients that we've taken on as clients up to this point. I do have a junior advisor with me that I can delegate some of those responsibilities. And I, I also have learned through my study group and through Dan that you have a relationship with someone that maybe doesn't fit the criteria or someone you or I should be working with. They deserve to be seen in service, but not necessarily doesn't have to necessarily So as long as we can provide service to them, and that we all struggle with those issues, those of us that have been well, it's you mentioned you mentioned some of the the mindsets, and that is that they 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 believe in a bigger future and that they're. They're looking to grow as, as you are. So, what are what are some of the other uh, mindsets that you've noticed, or those that really appreciate fully what you and your your team are able to deliver? Yeah, and I do have it on my website. If anyone wants to take a look at it, it's just moshitisfinancial.com. Um, so, here are the eight. I'll just give them to you real quickly. Um, big ambition, relationship oriented, open to change have a delegator mindset, they're process-oriented, they're still goal-driven, they're interested in leaving a legacy, and they're still courageous. So those are the eight, and you know, Dan always gives us examples of his top eight, and his eight are always so good, it's hard to develop ones that can um, kind of 
to proceed what he's given you already, so some of those we've stolen from his list, but that's okay too. Well, it, it, I'd love to have you talk about this delegator mindset because I, I think I know what you mean by that, but let, could you expand on what that means to you? Yeah, um, someone that perhaps doesn't have a delegator mindset, someone that has a very has very little interest in deviating from the way things have always been done. They feel it's going to be done right, they have to do it themselves. So those are the folks that possibly don't want to delegate planning responsibilities to anyone else. Those are the people that perhaps want to manage their own accounts and so forth. Whereas people that I think um, we want to work with are those that recognize talent in others. And they know what they're good at, they know what they're not good at, and they're willing to pay, in a sense, for expertise in an area because it frees up their time to do what they're good at, the whole unique abilities. So I think those are both ends of the spectrum. Well, that it goes. I love that analogy you use. You know, it's almost like in, in not just today, but it's always been that way. You know, we're if somebody has a certain political viewpoint, it, it's 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 not going to be pleasant, and we're not going to change their thinking. And so, what you just said is, you it sounds like you want to figure out: is this person a delegator, or are they going to do it themselves? Either they are or aren't, and 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 you're no longer attempting to twist yourself and twist them to change. You just want to figure out which which side of that spectrum they're on, don't you? Correct, and, and the scorecard I think is so much potential in so many different areas, not just this one. As you know, you can do different scorecards for different challenges, and we're learning, and we, we now have a link where I can, send it, I can send it to someone as opposed to um, the one on our website they can look at, but it's not interactive. We have to email one where if they want to score themselves and that information back to us. So we're trying to learn how to use those things and obviously do it in concert with what broker-dealers allow. Right, yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the beauty of it is is if we're just helping somebody assess how they think and we're saying here's how our clients see the world, you know, that that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nothing um, that would be hard for a compliance person to approve is what we're seeing. So that, that uh, from that standpoint, you know, I think that's that's good, and, and for those of you listening or watching that, that haven't seen it, there's actually a scorecard, the 10X Advisor scorecard, to, to think about your own thinking as it relates to the people that we've interviewed, and you can find that at the 10xadvisorpodcast.com uh, website, speaking of uh, scorecards. And John, I know another unique process that would be great to have you talk about is the one that you created that you call the business of, of wealth. Can you walk us through how you guys are utilizing that? Yeah, um, the business of wealth was designed, um, directed towards owners of family, closely held family businesses. And what it was, it was a collection of observations I've made over the years with the issues that um, most business owners think about often. And I've, I'll just read them to you quickly. It's actually a six-step process as well, where the first step is trying to recognize where they are in the life cycle of their business and their role as perhaps the CEO. Is it a mature company? Are they nearing the end of, um, of their working career? So try to recognize where they are. And then, again, the vision part of this. Where would they like the company to go? What are the growth opportunities? Who are the, the leaders that perhaps are 
in position they can step up and take on most more responsibility. So establishing the vision for the business. And then trying to identify if they have a quality team of advisors in place to help them start to do the planning that will help with the transition. And then I often find before we can talk about transitioning to the next generation or the next CEO, we have to prove to a current owner that their own financial independence is, is in a great place. So we probably go through some type of a planning process there. And then at that point, they're probably interested in really identifying the successes, whether they're family members or just key employees that they have. And as you start to identify the successor or successors, then you can put the plan, the business succession plan in place. And often that's coupled with an estate plan where they're thinking about um, their, their legacy, thinking about their charitable inclinations. So when I show this graphic overview to people, and I don't know how well you can see it there, but it has various steps, and they have these little bubble thoughts on top of each of the steps. I have observed business owners saying, oh my goodness, those are the things that keep me up at night, or that's what I think about in the shower. Can you help me get there? And again, I hate to overuse the terminology, but can you quarterback the process? And what's very interesting there is I found that I actually trump, often trump the 25-year relationship with the CPA or the attorney who perhaps have not been proactive in trying to get a business owner to think about this next level, this next stage of their plan and their lifestyle. Well, it sounds like when you're communicating that, are you finding that you're able to to demonstrate to them that one of your greatest values is helping them think differently and, and think of things that have really, they haven't been able to fully articulate in their own mind, but that are important to them? Sure, how about the one where a business owner has a child in the business and they've been there a while and for whatever reason, they have not shown the skills that are necessary to really lead a company. Think about if you own a company and you are hoping someday your son or daughter would take over, and you've got to make the hard, hard decision of what's in the best interest of the future of your company, the impact it's going to have on your employees, the impact it's going to have on your community. And you've got to make a decision that perhaps your child is not your successor. And it really is going to be an outside person or someone that has really shown the work ethic, the skills, and, and the leadership capability. So often the role that we play, in my opinion, is to help our client, tell our clients things that they need to hear, or at least bring things to their attention that they need to hear and don't always want to hear. There's a real distinction there. And that's where I think you, again, really separate yourself from the pack. Where they, they know that you're not a yes person just doing something to make a sale. You're there to truly help them and their company. And, and, and something will come across in the discussion that they will size that up and they'll recognize if you're the real deal to help them get to the next they want to get to. Oh, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, and you know, the other thing that, that I'm picturing is that you know, they have other great advisors, the 25-year relationship with the CPA or the attorney. 
what you've been able to do is, is really simplify things that, that perhaps might have seemed complex or overwhelming or like the example you used of, I mean, that's a hard one for them to talk about with anybody, isn't it, around the, they've, they've got a, a child in the business, but it's not a good fit, so what do they do and who do they, <laughs> who do they even talk to? So, so are, you, are you helping them identify it? Like an example would be if I said, to you something like, you know, my son's in the business. I mean, what, what kinds of things would you do to get a sense for me whether that was going to work out or not? Well, I have a case I'm working with right now, and it's actually a nephew of the CEO. He does not have, he has a child, one daughter part-time in the business, but he, he knows she's not the answer for the future. But he has a nephew. Nephew's made his career at the company, but the nephew has not been able to gain the respect of the others in, in the management team and even the rank and file employee, Controller recognizes this. So my question, because I don't know the nephew, my question is the, the current owner and CEO is a terrific person. He's got a big personality. He's engaging. He's just he's just the package, and he's a tough act to follow. And I have found that often we have people that have great potential, but they get caught in a comfort zone. So what I mean by that is they, they feel they've been kind of pigeonholed in a position and nobody's ever tapped them on the shoulder and said, you know, Joey, you have the potential to lead this company someday. You can grow. Now, here's what you have to do to get there. But I my challenge to the current CEO, the owner, was have you had that frank discussion with your nephew? Does he feel intimidated by you and your success and your persona? Can you bring it out of him, or do we have to come to the conclusion that he doesn't have the leadership skills and we have to look elsewhere? So I try to be as objective as I can and not to try to take a position on the issue until it becomes crystal clear. So those are the kind of discussions that you get into. They have nothing to do with insurance and investment planning, but eventually it really does. It, yeah, and that's that's different than their, you know, they're, they're, are you finding that in the past they've experienced more of a, a product-focused approach and maybe they've got a bunch of products but they're not tied together and they don't feel connected to it? Sure, absolutely. Well, fact, this, this one gentleman that I'm referring to, when he came to see us for the first time, he brought in a very detailed, nicely bound plan that one of the trust companies at our local bank had recently prepared for him, did not charge him a fee, and he came in anyhow. It was very interesting to me. And we reviewed what the, the trust department had done for him, and they had cited a lot of laws and the estate tax exemption amounts and some of the planning techniques, but nothing was specific. Nothing was uh, custom. There were no um, recommendations or summary recommendations. So he chose to uh, come into our program, write us a check to really do the plan properly. So I learned a great deal there is to not take a back seat to some of the major banks and trust companies that are out there that are willing to provide these services uh, for free because they have a banking relationship, if not, sometimes it's not worth the paper it's written on. So you have to be able to, again, articulate what you're going to bring to the table and how it will be different from perhaps what they've been through in the past. 
Well, what's great about just this whole theme of forward and future-based thinking is, you know, what you alluded to a little while ago about changes in Europe and Australia around going to a fee-based world. And, you know, you even mentioned it as one of your mindsets, I believe, and that is the process, valuing a process. And so you're getting people right now to write checks for different processes, which, which I have to think would put you ahead of being compensated slow, uh, solely on, on, on products. So how does that mindset play out? I, I believe you did have one that was that named the word process as a value on the scorecard, right? Yeah, um, if I could just maybe caution folks. Um, somehow the screen just went dark, Will, for whatever that's worth. Yep, I have an idea. Keep going. I'm going to shut the blinds. Time's <laughs> oh, coming up, huh? Okay, we're back. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I think what, what I caution whomever is listening to when you get into, if, you, if you're just coming into the fee-based financial planning world, let me just make one comment. Today, charging fees to do financial plans can also put an advisor out of business. And the reason for that is the gestation period from start to finish can be months and can be sometimes years. And I know that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but as you get into more sophisticated cases, to do it right, if you're willing to go down this, this, this channel, it takes a long time to do it properly. And you can't charge enough. The fee is not gonna lead you to the promised land. You're still trying to position yourself if there is an investment or insurance need there, you're hoping they'll entrust the business to you. So today, 2017, I still believe we have to be able to, to, to use products in order to, I think, supplement, because you can't, in my opinion, you can't charge enough. And you have to be willing to invest in your own infrastructure in your firm. I have a gentleman on staff that knows we use e-money. It's a wonderful, very powerful financial planning um, software program, but you better know it. You better know how to manipulate it. You better know how to put the right data in and do the right reports to get the, re the, the program to produce what you want it to produce so you can, again, explain that and have a client shake their head in a positive way. You're saying they get it, they see it. So it, it takes a long time to do it right. So be cautious. Do it step by step, and um, I think it, it again will develop a relationship with your prospect and client that perhaps you wouldn't have haven't been able to maybe get to that level in the past. And that that makes sense. And so, so where you are today, um, are you, are you finding that because of the business that you've built that you can you have time to be more deliberate without worrying about making the next payroll just because of where you are in your in your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you have some recurring revenue, as we do from our advisory business and things we've done in the past, that allows me the luxury of going down this road and taking on another person in order to just... I, I have found over the years, every time we've been able to grow as a firm, as a practice, and take that quantum leap to the next level, it normally it, it revolves around a people decision putting someone in place 
that I can perhaps delegate a responsibility to or they're better at it than I was and it frees up my time to do kind of the rainmaker things for our firm, meeting people, developing the relationships, um, enriching the relationships, getting people to sit down with us. So I, I think you have to be willing to invest in the business and give it some time and don't do things cold turkey. If up to this point you've made your living with commissions and maybe some ease off advisory comes, that's fine. Add this. Enhance what you're doing. Don't replace what you're doing. I think that's a mistake. Well, it sounds like what you've done is you've created options so that you have multiple different streams of revenue and that would allow you to, to go in different directions versus being reliant on just one one type of revenue, right? Correct. Yeah, we're assessing right now. We have a pretty good block of 401k business that I'm the representative for. And um, it's always been a little bit of a lost leader for us, but I don't think anything brings you closer to a business owner than when you have the retirement plan. You're out there regularly, you're doing your fiduciary plan reviews and communication meetings with employees, those types of things. But I'm paying attention very closely to where the Department of Labor is going on these things. And, you know, the 328 and uh, three, uh, 321 and 338 and so forth, but declarations. And uh, I'm not sure if an average advisor like myself should be in that business in the future. We're trying to determine if that makes sense for us moving forward. Well, it sounds like you're, you're balancing doing what you know works and also thinking about changes that you need to make, but doing it in a way where you're not radically finding yourself in a different business tomorrow, but you're just gradually implementing and adjusting and, and making changes. Well said. I think that, that, that's really summarized it very well. Well, I mean, this has been great to just think through these, uh, the processes that you've created and just, you know, a couple of things as we get ready to wrap up that I'd be curious about is, you know, if you reflect back on when you created these unique processes that we went through a little while ago, and we'll share the links up for your site, how has that shifted the dynamic? If you can think back to before you had those processes and named them uh, compared to today and the kinds of discussions you're having around them. Well, we're not the biggest firm in town. There's only seven of us. But um, what I think we've been able to do is to create, um, I've never been afraid to spend money on our marketing materials, our brochures, um, our website, graphics, and so forth. I have a graphic designer that helps me do them professionally. There's a theme. They all tie together with the proper colors and our logo, we have a brand that we try to use when we when we build these things to folks. So I also think that you know we're business people in addition to being advisors. So you have to create a business, the persona of a viable ongoing operation. And I believe as we enter the next stage of our own planning, the less important I become to the success of this firm the better off we'll be, the more valuable the firm will be. And I have two young men behind me right now that um, are climbing the mountain. And those of us that have been around for a while, we, we kind of forget how hard that first year or two is to get established in this business, especially in an environment where you have do not call and caller ID. And these young people struggle to meet enough new people and learn how to prospect properly and 
So my job is to try to bring them along and hopefully, and as Stan often talks about, the, the freedoms, the one freedom I'm willing to pay for at this stage of my career is the freedom of time to do the things that I think are most beneficial in my unique ability and uh, the freedom of time to maybe get away a little bit on a Friday afternoon in the summer and things that perhaps I haven't done enough up to this point. So that's kind of what's in my mind for the future. And um, hopefully we'll have a viable organization that will survive the test of time and I'll have a place to hang my hat and uh, hopefully still be able to share our thoughts with our clients and friends. No, it's great. And what you've created and the, the opportunity for those that are going to be, you know, uh, part of your succession planning over over time, the, the opportunities for them to grow and learn. And, you know, we talked a bit about strategic coach. And one thing I'd be curious about as we wrap up is what are some of the other things that you find helpful in, as far as your own learning, whether it's books or other coaching programs that you're doing uh, just to stay stay ahead and, and, and create changes versus reacting to them? Yeah, great, great, great question. As I reflect back, the three things that have had the biggest impact on my life, both personally and professionally, has, has been my exposure to strategic coach, to change the way that I think and look at things. Number two, um, for an 18-year period, I've been involved in a study group with advisors that have different relationships that I do. They live in different geographic regions, and we meet twice a year faithfully. And we've actually written a book on the creation and maintenance of effective study groups. And then my exposure to the Million Dollar Roundtable, which just that whole concept of the whole person and developing different sides of, of, of yourself. I think as I looked back, I, w- I will encourage any advisor today to go to the roundtable meetings, think about a study group, and there's ways that you have to go about putting that together, different types of study groups, and having a coaching program. I mean, strategic coach has been a good fit for me, but it's a macro program, right? It's big picture issues. It's not a micro program like Ron Parsons' Peak Advisor Alliance program will give you ideas on how to hire people and what to pay them and how to build an operations manual and all these types of things that we all have to learn as business people. uh, So a very different type of coaching program. So that's what I've learned over the years. And how how do we get access to that book that you wrote around uh, study groups? Um, I think it's on Amazon right now. And uh, it's just called uh, Building and Maintaining an Effective Study Group. And the five of us that have been together for this 18-year period yeah, Bill, let me just give you a little background on, on who are the five. Um, one of them is Ryan Heckert, who is now twice removed. He was the president of the Million Dollar Roundtable a couple of years ago from Southern Illinois. We have a gentleman from Minnesota by the name of Brian Sweet, who's one of the leading advisors in the Raymond James system. Just uh, built a tremendous business, very service-oriented and very client-centric. Wonderful. I have a small town in Minnesota. We have Ron Greenberg in um, New Jersey, who's uh, a leading within his team in the M financial world. And then we have um, the perpetual leading producer in the Lincoln system by the name of Peter Maller out of Baltimore, Maryland, who's just built an amazing business. And he's a high integrity gentleman that, um, you know, I, I used to be 
one of the the leaders of the group production-wise, and now I'm, I'm lucky that they allow me to stay in the group because they've taken their businesses to the stratosphere. But we're very close personally and professionally, and um, what I've learned and what we share on hiring and what we pay our people and how we market and how we manage portfolios and what insurance products are we using and how we're engaging clients. And it's just been an amazing experience that I could have never learned these types of I was going along. No, that's that's a great point, and and you've shared some incredible wisdom with all of us today, and resources that we'll make available to everybody. And John, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with us on the Ten X Advisor podcast today. I appreciate all you're doing, Will. You're, you're putting a lot of great intellectual property together to help those in our business. So thank you for your efforts as well. Definitely, and I look forward to seeing you in Toronto again here in just a couple of months. Yeah, man. We'll see you then. All the best. All right. Till next time, everybody. Bye.